0: Today on the podcast, we have Commissioner Willis Howell, the territorial commander of the Salvation Army in the Southern United States.
1: As Salvationists, what is the singular idea that ought to drive everything we do? At the end of the day, uh, at the you know the the Salvation Army is finally over with. And Jesus has come back. What's the one box that we've got to make sure that we have checked?
0: Welcome to Captain's Corner, a podcast about community, mission, and culture. This podcast is a ministry of the Salvation Army of Tampa, where we exist because we believe every person can be the person God has called them to be. Also, please check us out at tampasa.org and go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at SalArmyTampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsors for helping to make this podcast possible. Thank you to RegisterToRing.com and to a very generous anonymous donor. We hope you guys enjoy the episode.
2: Hello, friends, and welcome again to Captain's Corner. We are thrilled today to have with us the Territorial Commander for the Salvation Army's work in the Southern United States, Commissioner Willis Howell. He leads the Salvation Army's work here. Commissioner, welcome to Captain's Corner.
1: Well, thank you very much, Andy. Good to be with you.
2: We uh, we are so pleased to get a chance to talk to our leaders. As you know, at the beginning of this season, we also talked to the general, and it's good to follow it up with our commissioner. In the Salvation Army, the commissioner is— Uh, similar in other denominations to the bishop. But in a corporate sense, he also serves, he or she, I should say, also serves as the CEO and president of our corporation. So he's responsible for all of the work in probably 400 plus corps, probably close to 1,000 officers, thousands of employees, but leads our work to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet human needs in his name without discrimination. So he's at the, the head of that group. But before we get into some of the things that you're doing, in your, is, is that okay? Did, did I say that right? Did I mess anything up?
1: No, good gracious. Just the way I wrote it for you. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> I, I have to be careful here because like, you know, you're, you're also a person who has the power to move me, so I need to make sure I say things the right way there. Good uh, for you. When you when you think about your history at the Salvation Army and your own background, like how did God lead you to serve in the army, and where you you're not originally from the Southern Territory, tell us a little about your history.
1: Hmm. Okay. Um, well, let's see. I would be third generation Salvationist. I had grandparents who were Salvationists, my parents, and then me. Yeah. Uh, so I was born into the Salvation Army. Uh, and so it was always our church, even though my father was a career Navy man. Okay. And so we would move literally coast to coast, and we even moved overseas for a while when I was a kid. Uh, that was fantastic. Wow. Uh, but it's always been it's always been our our church. It's always been the place we would go to worship. But as far as any particular leading or sense of of officership, no, I guess we would be what you call late bloomers. We we didn't see it coming. I was in the Navy myself and, quite honestly, was planning on staying in. I I was going to stay with a career. Uh, I was a a military musician, and I was stationed at the Naval Academy at the time in Annapolis, and it was a permanent duty position. I would never have to move again. Can you imagine how tempting that would be? Wow. Uh, It was wonderful. But that's exactly when the Lord sort of snuck up on us. We were active soldiers at the Prince George Corps okay. uh, just outside of Washington, and uh, I led the band. We both did youth work. Barbara was the the young people's sergeant major, and we were involved far more in ministry and hands on uh, service, and we were seeing fruit as mm. a result and it just sort of caught our attention and and caused us to sort of step back, Lord are you are you leading in a different direction? Is there something more that you're asking? And so uh, through a series of, I won't take the whole time here, but through a series of talking with people whose opinions we respect, through a great deal of prayer, we sort of recognized, I think the Lord's leading us in a different direction. Wow. And off we went to training.
2: And, and you played trombone in, the, in one of the Navy ensembles, is that right?
1: Yes, uh, trombone, guitar, banjo, and vocal. You try to make yourself as
2: valuable as you can, you know? That's why you get that permanent position. Now, of course, one of the great things is that (laughs) you're able to use those, those skills still in the Salvation Army. Some people will be really familiar with... One of the great recording successes of the Salvation Army's music department is Spiritual to the Bone, and you were the bass trombone player on that. Is that right?
1: Yeah, how about that? That was a whole lot of fun, but it was also a lot of years ago. But I think really one of the biggest carryovers that um, serves in the role now, um, having been— Quote, an entertainer for uh, a number of years before being a Salvation Army officer. I'm very comfortable in front of a crowd. Yes. I don't find myself getting terribly worked up and nervous. I, I, I have an excitement about being with and in front of and around people. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, we're going to put that to use. As some of you will know from Tampa, we've already announced it, that Commissioner Hal is going to be the guest speaker for our Doing the Most Good luncheon this November 15th, and then he'll be with us, he and Commissioner Barbara will be with us the That's following right. Sunday at our course. So you know, put that on your calendar to check that out. So that it's interesting how God brought you in later in life, and then you served in a variety of appointments throughout the Southern Territory. Could, I know we don't have time to go through the details of all those. Could you just track where you where you served through your years as an officer?
1: Oh gracious, um, let's see, We've, we were 14 years as Corps Officers, we were Youth Secretaries, we were here in the Territorial Youth Department, uh, General Secretary out in Texas, Divisional Leaders for Kentucky, Tennessee Division as well as the Carolinas Division, Training Principal. Um, we were sent overseas to New Zealand, Fiji, Tonga and Samoa Territory. And now we're back. I, th- I think I was tallying it up. I think we've had something like eleven or thirteen different appointments. I don't know. It's been it's been a, a bunch.
2: You know, those who are familiar with the Salvation Army will recognize that. That's uh, now the New Zealand piece. That's not usual, of course. But the moving around a particular you know territory or a region. And of course, we're in the southern territory, the southern southeastern states, going out to Texas, and. Um, there is a kind of a sense of like one of the tensions within the Salvation Army is our appointment system, our kind of command system that calls upon people to move from place to place, just like you just described. And, you know, that, that's often seen as a, as a weakness for us. Um, there's also a side that's a strength. As somebody who's responsible for that work, and I know, of course, you come mm-hmm. under the authority of the general in a, cert, in a certain sense too, but talk to me about the appointment system. Does it still make sense for us to work this way as a Salvation
1: Army? Well, boy, that's a complicated one to unpack. But let me see if I can give it a good shot here. Okay. Um, We would like to be leaving people longer. Yes. Now, originally, our whole system was not uh, intend. In fact, th- that was one of the things that our early Salvationists and our founders, they wanted nothing to do with that. They didn't want things to set up as pastor and congregation situation. This, that was anathema. They they wanted nothing to do with that, and so they kept officers very much on the move. But times have changed, and we have we have found ourselves in different patterns these days. But one of the issues that we have to contend with is that officership in the Salvation Army is something of a... I'll use the phrase a closed system, so if an officer finds himself herself themselves somehow incapacitated or they have to step out for any reason right you don't just run an ad in the paper and uh just hire someone right it starts these dominoes, remember how you would set up dominoes and you'd push one over and all of sure. a sudden yeah. hundreds all over. yeah, and so there is this chain reaction, this knock on effect that oftentimes happens and much as you try to minimize that and and keep it so that it influences and affects as few as possible, boy, that's a challenge because, as I say, you don't just go out in the backyard and pick yourself another officer that you can plug into the situation. So many of our appointments are extremely unique. All appointments now are highly sophisticated. And finding a good fit for whatever the appointment might be, Boy that's a challenge and uh, it requires the wisdom of Solomon we're we are literally on our knees about this whole time uh, of appointments so we what we're trying to do over the next little bit okay. we're going to try um we're going to try to emphasize moving no more than 20% oh, in interesting. a dis- well, I mean, this is this is an idea we're toying with. If you do that, then just by the sheer math of it, then every five years you will have, you know, you, it, it gives you time to uh, to have people settle in. That that can be the target. But I'm telling you, as soon as we have someone who who steps out of officership right, or for right. some reason can no longer continue, ugh, it upsets that apple cart. So. Um, It's one thing to have that intent. It's another thing to see if it can become a reality.
2: Yeah. Well, I know that that, there's those challenges, and of course it enters into situations with people's children and where they move. But I think it comes back to a little bit of our, from from a theological perspective, it's also our, our polity. We are not a congregational system. So as much as we want to give ownership to people within our core, that we want them to be able to buy in. We want advisory board members to buy in. At the same time, the ownership of the, the church and the operation as a whole, the mission that God's called us to, it comes from uh, the de- denominational or the territorial level. So like we're more like the Episcopal system. And I think the idea is hopefully just to, that there's there's needs that might be something that, that the local area might not understand. Um, so I've oh, grouped, I'm sure yeah. that, yes. Is there anything in there you yeah. want to respond to? I've...
1: No, but I'm sure that's exactly right. And, and not to overly spiritualize it, but uh, let me reiterate the fact that there is a great deal of prayer that goes into it. Now, does that mean that we always get it right? No, I'll be the first to admit that. But we, we, we fervently pray, Lord, if we are off base, please, please open our eyes to it because we don't want to, we don't want to cause problems. Um, that said, we do trust that the Lord leads us in this and that none of this comes to him as a surprise and that the hand of the lord that brought someone there in the first place that is that beloved officer that everybody just thinks hung the stars and the moon it's the same lord involved that will help bring us the next person yes And so, uh, I've got to rely on that kind of understanding. Uh, You were talking about how our polity and and what we're set up, I recently read a great quote from uh, John Larson, General John Larson, as he was coming up to his retirement, he was reminding Salvationists, he said, listen, a Salvation Army Corps and the role of an officer is not intended to be that of a flock with a shepherd, but a force with a captain. Hmm. And I think that's a good framing of it. Uh, in my own military background, when, when you have a military unit that is um, cohesive, everybody understands their mission, it really makes relatively little difference when commanding officers come in and out because he or she is simply directing the day-to-day operations. Sure. Everybody knows their job, everybody knows what's ex- what's expected, and whoever the person is up at the front end of it, we still do what we do because we understand the mission we're here to achieve.
2: Right, and I try to remind people that you know when, when, when there is a little bit of doubt that comes in when people are weary of seeing multiple people in uniform over the years, that we still have God, like that God's raised the Salvation Army up, God sustains the Salvation Army, and this has been an effective way for us to become consistent in our mission through the years. And while yeah. while we can trust that God has has been a part of the process, and you're not alone in this either. Like It's not just you up at the the, the third floor right. of THQ. Right, there's a whole team. Yeah. Yep. And, and there are a lot of, con- so we appreciate yep. you know of our prayers for you as you work through that process. One of the things that's interesting to in your leadership, and and you've been serving as territorial commander now, is it is it about two and a half years? Is that right?
1: Maybe. Um, no, I'm coming up on two years. It'll be two years okay, one in November.
2: Gotcha. Okay. So so very quickly, when you hit the ground in this position, you started to push out to the territory this desire to get to the why of the Savage Army's mission, particularly in our territory, and to really drill down on that. I'm curious, like... Why the why? How did you get to that framework? <laughs> um, and, and before we even talk about what the why is, I'm just—I I, was—I enjoyed the process that you enter, entered into as you came into your appointment.
1: I've got to say that um, even though I didn't have this particular language, this has always been a driving. Um, Force within me. Hmm. If we, if, if as salvationists, what is the singular idea that ought to drive everything we do? At the end of the day, uh, at the you know the the Salvation Army is finally over with, and Jesus has come back. What's the one box that we've got to make sure that we have checked? Right. That's always been in my mind. And then it wasn't until oh a few years ago now I was watching um, those popular TED talks. You know right. those TED talks online. Yes. Yeah. I was watching um, Simon Sinek. Right right. And now it's become his why talk, uh, but how great leaders, um, oh, phooey, I can't recall exactly uh, the the specific title, but he was laying out the whole thing of start with why. He had a book that came, uh, I think it came after the TED Talk, don't hold me to that, please, but Uh um, about starting with why, how the why of what someone is doing, the why needs to drive it. So all of a sudden I had language. Yes. Focusing on the why, and it seems to me, um, Andy, you know that I'm a uh, sort of a lay student of Salvation Army history, yeah, and so I very much enjoy that. I, I rely a great deal to be. I, I'm guided a, a great deal on that. And when you look at the, there is a famous, um, there's a famous picture that you would understand comes from the from the book in Darkest England and the Way Out. There was a lithograph that was included in every book that showed this picture of a very angry and dark ocean, just waves crashing and and just peaking and cresting, and all peppered through the water were people who were drowning and in various stages of emergency. And the shores of the the ocean are lined, uh, somewhat ideally, I'll admit, but are are lined by salvationists doing all that they can to try to pull people out from the from the, the milieu, the, from the, the whirlpool of all the various evils that they're having to contend with. Right. I like the image of that, because when you see people literally drowning in sin, in need, in suffering, you don't look at that picture and scratch your head and say, gosh, I wonder what they ought to be doing about that. Right. <laughs> you know that at the end of the day, I need to do my part to pull people out mm-hmm. and to make a difference. Their- so that I equate with why we do what we do, our various social services ministries, the various programs that we offer. If at some point it doesn't lead us to an opportunity to talk to somebody about their soul, right. about eternity, about a relationship with Jesus, or if they've already got one, how do we help you go deeper with the? Li- if it doesn't lead to that, then I think it. I think it's fair for us to at least ask the question. Do we need to be doing this right. or, or come to the point if we're not, if it's not leading us to that opportunity, what do I need to do so that it does?
2: And Commissioner Hal just referenced a book called "In Darkest England," and that's a book written in the way by. Out. Book, uh, in the way out, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to leave it out. Leave the complete title, out. but the uh, is written by the founder of the Salvation Army, General William Booth, in 1890. And some of you might know the Salvation Army started in 1865. Um, the name came in 1878, but this is several years into the work that God had called William Booth to do, where he brought this book about that was this real plan for how do we pull people out of all kinds of, of, of eternal damnation, of temporal damnation in, in that sense too. So this is a, a key piece. Now, when you start to say those type of things, of course, would we really want to push to the why, that can be challenging because it might mean that we look at some of the things we do and say, maybe we shouldn't do them. Is that a corrective in some way? Do you, has it been corrective for you as you've led the territory through this process?
1: I think it is potentially a corrective. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mince words with you. I'll okay. slice and dice please, a little please. bit. Please, please. I, I uh, maybe I'd go with the word reminder. Okay. Yeah. Um, that if it's not in there, why isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. If if there isn't some spiritual component, I'm not saying that. Let's completely wash our hands of it. No, let's do what we do on purpose, recognizing what's going on. But if we're all of a sudden just sort of slapping away at things as opposed to being intentional, I'm, I'm not happy with that. So I like the fact that it reminds people we are the Salvation Army. Right. We are in this to see people come to Jesus. Yes, We amen. are in this people saved. We are in this to affect people positively in their spiritual condition. Amen.
2: I had, a, you know, it's interesting. You and I had a conversation in another context where um, there there is a move occasionally for people to just like the things that we do and maybe not embrace why we do it and the gospel message, which is so imperative to all that we do. I had a, a a professor who was a liberation theologian um, when I was studying at SMU, and he came to uh-huh. me and said, "You know, you really need to think of changing your name." And he said, "Why don't you? You should really stop this salvation bit, and why don't you call yourself the Liberation Army?" Or and then he oh. started and he said, "You know what? I don't even like the army part." You know. Like and, and I just thought, well, that's entirely who we are. I mean, not uh, the yeah. army is how we're organized, is our structure. It's this image that guides what we do. But we we actually believe that um, on Sunday I preached a sermon and I used some of the, Abby and I preached together the um, storm the force of darkness that we can sit no longer idly by why while the heedless millions die, like uh, and I actually yeah. believe that I believe that there are people who if they do not hear the good news of Jesus Christ, will not spend eternity with him. If that's the case, well, I, we, we need to sit no longer idly by.
1: <laughs> exactly. Andy, somewhere along the way, we have let go of, we've lost, we've forgotten what used to be radical about our faith and our mission as salvationists. We used to have this burning, passionate, do-whatever-it-takes attitude to reach the lost. And... Um, I'm making an overgeneralization. I understand, but we seem to we seem to have substituted that for, well, but I'm comfortable yes. or I like it this way. Right. And am I being fed? Well, uh, yes. Those are all important factors. But let's come back to that picture I was describing. People are drowning. Right. What are you going to do about it?
2: Yep. and There's a variety of ways that we um, that we go about that task. So here in. Hillsborough County, um, through the work of the ARC and the, um, the, our Red Shield Lodge, we have more than 300 people who will sleep with us tonight. So, yeah, oh, that didn't sound right. Three, sleep people in a Salvation Army <laughs> bed tonight. Uh, caught myself. So see, I wish I had your versatility of language. Um, so, it, oh, it, it, yeah. with that, we, if we had. If we have that, that opportunity to engage people, like that is one way that we help people out, but it's not the total way, of course. Like we we think that oh. these two things need to come together. Um, and, and, and so, for instance, one thing you have to do, maybe people don't realize it, is that as the, in, in a corporate formal sense, you're the CEO of the corporation, I have to send paperwork your way to sign on government contracts in these pieces. Have you Has there been any yep. headway with looking at, at those and the ones that restrict our use, um, uh, or is it more open than maybe we think? Sometimes we might put shackles on ourselves that really aren't there.
1: It is more open than we think. Hmm. Uh, now, we, have, we, we do read very carefully uh, the documentation, the, the terms and conditions of any contract that we sign, but it is not near as restrictive as we have forced ourselves to believe. Interesting. Uh, we have this idea, well, we can't, we can't pray with people. We can pray with people. This is what we do. And also, if we do find language in a given contract that we find objectionable, well, then we enter into negotiation. Uh, listen, you know, uh, government, local, city, federal, st- whatever. Uh, we, we have a little concern with this particular clause or this condition here. Uh, is there a way that we can negotiate that? We would prefer this sort of wording, or uh, could we substitute this for that? Some cases it works; other cases, no, they hold firm. And there have, in fact, been times that we have to say, "Thanks, but no thanks." This is not who we are. We we can't operate with our hands tied. Uh, Booth was talking one time. He was reflecting on someone who had come up to him to say, "Mr. Booth." I very much like your results, but I don't appreciate your methods. And Booth uh, came back and said, listen, if not for my methods, we wouldn't be getting these results. Right. And so our methods are key to the results that we get.
2: Well, I'm really glad to hear you in the way that you've refocused that with us. Is there any kind of practical examples? I mean, now I talked about a very exciting topic of our grants and contracts, but is there, but it is so important, but is there any other area maybe within the territory or things that you see where that's started to bear fruit or you see some signs of outcomes?
1: Well, one of the places now we're, we're not seeing incredible fruit because by the nature of the ministry I'm going to describe, it's, it's, it works with a limited number of people. But our Pathway of Hope ministry, Yes. Uh, you're, you're familiar with Pathway of Hope, where we work with an individual family or two. It's small numbers of people that we're able to take them in great depth in order to... Uh, our goal is to break the cycle of intergenerational poverty. Yes. And one of the key components to our Pathway of Hope is a spiritual component. Now does that mean we require them to come to church? No, no, no. It's not that kind of thing. But that people are regularly in contact with them. Yes, to pray with them. Yes, to be with them. Yes, to make sure that there is a spiritual emphasis, a spiritual component that's being involved in this because we believe that for someone to be someone to be transformed, it has got to be more than just my personal life. It's got to involve my heart and my spiritual life. Yes. So we're seeing uh, in in cases in our pathway of hope, and that's probably uh, most notable. We have a number of other examples that we could give of people, yes, in shelters, people who come as part of our rehabilitation programs, who are uh, just finding the Lord in incredible ways. And man, we celebrate that.
2: Yes, well, you know, one thing that's been helpful to us with Pathway of Hope, what I appreciate about it so much, is that it's connected to an asset-based approach toward helping people, as opposed to a deficit-based approach, and it connects to the ideas of Bob Lupton and toxic charity, or Brian Fikeert in and, uh, yeah, yeah. and when helping hurts. Like these these principles uh, are spiritual principles as well, and they're discipleship principles. So if we get people engaged in the work right. that we're doing, it's right. if they're just going to benefit from, and this is kind of the Andy Stanley idea too, like benefit from as opposed. <laughs> to participate in, if they're going to just benefit from the program, we really, if we're going to have people grow, they have to participate in their own recovery or their their own path. And that's, of course, true spiritually. People have to respond to the gospel themselves. This episode of Captain's Corner is brought to you by an anonymous donor who loves the Ministry of the Salvation Army and RegisterToRing.com. Register to Ring is the simple way to sign up to ring bells at the Salvation Army. Ringing bells is a cherished holiday tradition, and money raised goes directly to help people in need in your community. To volunteer to ring in your community this holiday season, go to RegisterToRing.com to sign up today. You can sign up as an individual or a group. Just go to RegisterToRing.com. And let me just add that in Tampa, this has been a blessing to have Registered a Ring in place. We've had a great expansion of our volunteer efforts because of Registered a Ring. So check that out today. And our thanks to these sponsors for their help in producing Captain's Corner. Well, thanks for talking about that. I, I, I do. I am going to kind of throw a tougher one your way here. And um, I might have to edit it out, but I'm going to go ahead and go there. We, you know, <laughs> one of the challenges that we have in our culture in this time is working through the challenges that surround um, – the body and 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 I say that very broadly and specifically thinking about human sexuality and I, when I say that I don't just mm. talk about the hot topic uh, items of same-sex marriage or same-sex behavior but I'm thinking like the whole gamut from um, you know uh, cohabitation to pornography to uh, even though it's maybe not as prolific here polyamory and polygamy i mean these are huge issues that we have to develop a a right theology that's based upon scripture and the theology of the salvation army how Mm. how as the leader of our territory are you thinking through these issues that are coming up so regularly from our culture
1: wow that is a loaded one you're right um okay first off yeah as believers, we understand this whole concept of in the world but not of the world. By that, we 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 have to operate within culture, but we don't take our cues from culture. Assimilation with culture is not and cannot be our goal. So, and, uh, not only that, but good gracious, culture uh, the it's an ever shifting current, right? Isn't it? Just when you think I got it, I got it, nah, I don't got it. And so you you almost have to wet your finger and stick it in the air. Which way are the winds blowing right now? Sure. Um, so we we have to be attuned to culture, so that we can minister to and and affect culture. But culture is not to be our master. We're the ones, according yes. to Scripture, called to be salt and light. Amen. And so that's our role to influence culture, as opposed to be. So thoroughly influenced by culture, right? So when it comes to human sexuality, you're right. That's a that's a, a loaded issue right there. Um, in many ways, I'm I'm trying to paint with a very broad brush here. Right. When we talk about human sexuality, um, at the heart of it is this very sexualized society and culture that we live in. Mm-hmm. Everything is sexualized. Um, what was the old adage for the, uh, the advertising industry? You know, sex sells. And you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to look at many of the commercials on TV or radio that don't have some, some sort of sexual component, uh, uh, just attraction to it. But sex does not equal intimacy. Hmm. See, I think that people... Uh, just because of how we're built. uh, There is a a natural physical desire for sex, but I think what people are genuinely craving is intimacy. Hmm. And that's something different. To be loved, to be understood, to be cared for. And I'd like to think that the Salvation Army... Would, would come down on that side, that people who come to us, people who work with us, people who are around us, people who worship with us, people who, who are somehow in our sphere of influence, that we embrace, that we love, that we understand, that we care for them, that we welcome them, that we right. include them, that certainly we serve them. Right. And so without uh, trying to talk with someone for, uh, listen, before we uh, before we go any further, uh, yes, give, yes. Me your, give me your pronouns. That's and, right, uh, yeah. Tell me, uh, yeah, so uh, we, we don't ask. Right. I, I remember hearing one time that there was, um, I want to say that it was a government study being done, and they asked the Salvation Army, how many people uh, under LGBTQ, how many are you serving who identify, and we had to say, we don't know. Right. Because the fact is, we don't ask.
2: Right. I mean, like, I'm often—I've had a few times where locally I've had some um, uh, leaders from the LGBT com- community come and talk to us, and they they kind of objected to the fact that our mission statement has the word evangelical in it. But I said, you know, if you want to come, come to our shelter, I'll, I'll introduce you to folks that we're serving who, who we, we have no— we don't ask any question when they come in. Instead, we kind of start with the basis: Do you want to get out of homelessness? All right, now yeah. let's start. Let's start yeah. there. And we, we've k- t- taken this idea, kind of connected to your why question as well. Locally, we've said that we exist because we believe every person can be the person God's called them to be. That, does it, there it that is it. We don't start with where we want. For me, either. I don't I want, want to start with the ultimate place where I am. They expect me to be there. But I believe every person, God has a plan and desire for them to be a holy person. Um, I agree. I agree. And and that also, I think that that transcends to our social outreach as well, our hospitable ministries. As I don't think anybody, God desires anybody to sleep on the street. Now, that's a pretty, mm. that's a statement. Uh, maybe there might be some who have like taken a vow of poverty in certain situations. But like in general, the folks who aren't sleeping on the street, like that's not the best situation for them. And we want to help them there. And does, we're not asking any questions in that regard. I appreciate you, you, know, parsing that out. Of course, that has implications too, like now too, with, um, with how our society operates with, it, with social media and a variety of other things. But um, yeah. I thank you for giving us some clarity there. Anything else you want to say about that subject?
1: Uh, no, I think that's pretty much the, the thought that I have. I will say that um, it, we as Salvationists, I think we are also, I am talking to the Salvation Army crowd here, yeah, yeah. that we find ourselves, I think, if we hold to our doctrines, and right. especially if in, in any issue, doctrine number one. It talks about we form our opinion based on what Scripture teaches us, not necessarily what culture feeds us, or what society pushes our way? No, that, that may that may have some uh, some consideration, but the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, are we true to what Scripture asks and requires of us? Amen. That's I
2: I love our first article of faith, and I think that there are, I've heard some suggestions of people saying, "Well, we should not really use that." I think that is absolutely found absolute foundational piece. For our movement is that we believe God has revealed Himself in space yeah. and in time, and He's done that primarily through the Scripture, of the Old New Testament. And one of the you know neglected factors, I think, in the, the, the one of the beauties of our statements, it says we believe this is a divine rule of Christian faith and practice, and yeah. that also yeah. inter- involves it's an interpretive process. The 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 history of of tradition of interpreting scripture, and it's been pretty clear. And I'm thankful to hear you articulate that, that we start with that as our foundation.
1: If Uh, you remove that, the rest of it comes tumbling down in on itself.
2: Yeah. And that, that, of course, should encourage if God is really, if he has revealed himself, the creator of the universe, maybe we need to encourage everybody to see what he said. I, th- I tell mm. people if you read ten minutes a day, you'll get through the Bible in a year. You don't have to be legalistic about it, but you know, if, if the God <laughs> of the universe wants to talk to you, maybe maybe you could listen. What are Pick up the phone. That's right. What's your what's your own um, Bible reading pattern? Like how do you how do you go, go to Scripture each day?
1: Oh, gracious. There's a few different uh, ways that I go about it. There's times that I'll do uh, just a a book study and read through a book. In fact, right now I've been going through just the writings of Luke, both his gospel, and right now I'm toward the end of Acts. There's other times that I approach it. Well, I, Luke fascinates me as the only Gentile writer uh, in the New Testament uh, just, and, and he is a bona fide historian. Yes. Uh, he, he basically gives you so much detail that he's daring you to check him out and verify what he has to say. Anyway, so I, I very much enjoy reading Luke. But there's other times that my biblical approach, or my devotional approach, is, I just start reading until the Lord says, oh, here it is, wow. let's camp out right here for a while, and then I'll start plumbing the depths of, of a verse, a phrase, a particular section, where the Lord has something in that for me. There's times I've also gone through a, a reading system. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've done the Walk Through the Bible yeah. uh, series, so I, I try to keep it always changing so that it, it doesn't get stale.
2: Uh, just this morning, I preached um, back to Luke piece. I, I preached at Cambridge Christian School here in Tampa, and I preached from, mm. on the road to Emmaus, and I found something interesting. You might find this. Uh, Daryl Bach, who's one of the great Luke Act yeah. scholars of our time, he said, um, actually, Luke, ha- and I didn't know this, Luke has more has written more of the New Testament than anybody else. He, yep, He has more words. Now, there might be more books, but anyways, that was yep. an interesting fact. Well, that's great, yep. to he- great to hear that. So uh, one of the things I always am impressed by you, and, and Abby and I had the privilege of serving with you and Barbara in Kentucky, Tennessee, and um, even though they're really a part of us coming to the Southern Territory when we were there after we graduated from Asbury Seminary. But I've always been impressed by the fact that you're always reading. So what, what are you <laughs> reading these days? And, and tell us about some of that, some of the things you're reading.
1: I, I read the way a lot of people watch TV, you know, what else is on? I've always got three or four books going at a time. Yeah. Um, Oh, let's see right now. Actually, I've just gotten, I've got it here on my desk. Um, I've just gotten a copy of the, uh, the book called boundless salvation, the shorter writings of William Booth. That's edited by uh, Andrew Eason and Roger Green. And there's a lot of stuff in here that you just don't find other places. And so I've, I've just cracked that one open. I'm uh, only maybe 25 pages in, but it's it's a fascinating read. I'm I'm a sucker for old army stuff anyway. Uh, I'm also reading. Oh, there is a new um, a new study that's been done by the Barna Group. Um, okay. w- they they produced it in um, in conjunction with Alpha USA. You know the yep. um, mm-hmm. the discipleship group Alpha. Um, and the title of the study is Reviving Evangelism, Current Realities That Demand a New Vision for Sharing Faith. Wow. Fascinating study.
2: Talk fascinating. about connected here. Why? I mean, and that's one thing I really appreciate you saying so regularly. It's just the priority of evangelism. Um, so hopefully that... Sorry, I, I interrupted you a bit. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, no, no, no. I'm just saying that it, it's been a, an absolutely fascinating read. Um, I'll give you a little of the flavor of it here. Uh, key Findings. Yeah. key findings among practicing Christian uh, Christians nearly half of millennial practicing Christians believe that it's wrong to evangelize wow. can you imagine that Wow is right here's another one I'll just give you a couple more here quickly uh, another key finding almost two in five practicing Christians say they have no non-christian friends or family members that's a scary fact yeah. we don't intentionally engage beyond our faith we just sort wow. of Huddled together, really? Mm, mm-hmm. One more, yeah. Um, more than half report having two or fewer conversations about faith with a non-Christian during the past year. Wow. Yeah, this is I mean, wow. I'm sorry,
2: I'm kind of blown away by all this. And I, I do say the word "wow" a lot, but this is like kind of like a, these stats are tough. Like I try to encourage people, even in our own core, to think about the fact that. You know we're not going to grow as a congregation and be the people he's called to be as a group if we don't have non-christian friends like we need to make non-christian friends so that we can we can bring them like again heedless millions are dying like if that's the case we need to make sure that we're engaged engaging with them on right and finding means to get and that might not mean they become a salvation army soldier but at least we need to have those relationships You, I wanted to bring up, you know, one thing. I'll encourage people to look at that balanced salvation book. I was really impressed with that because um, Roger Green, who's the, kind of the leading scholar for for the last forty years of William Booth and Andrew Easton as well, they take time in there to annotate and footnote various pieces of William Booth's writing, so that you can understand what's happening. Yep. And, and, and some of it, of course, is their opinion, but most of it is like a really historic. So, I, if you're interested in William Booth. I encourage you pick it's a little expensive but pick that book up. Um, it's a
1: good one. Yeah.
2: So, one of the questions like his car is like who are some of the leaders who've impacted your own leadership and and why?
1: Ooh. Ah, uh, leaders who have um Well, let's see. I he, he's become sadly a little bit controversial and I, I'm, I'm sorry for that but uh, it doesn't change the opinion that I have of the insights that he's written I, I very much enjoy reading Bill Hybels.
2: okay yeah.
1: Um, uh, yeah like I say there's been just a little uh, touch yeah. of I don't uh, scandal maybe too strong a word but I I think that what Bill Hybels, how he writes what he shares I think is practical or it's Speaks to me anyway. Yeah. It's very practical. Um, another, uh, well, it's a leadership book, so I don't know that I'm so much, uh, but my v- absolute, f- I mean, leadership books these days are a dime a dozen, know. aren't they? I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> like a dead cat without hitting somebody's leadership book. But my absolute favorite for me, and everybody has their own, but I've always enjoyed the, uh, the Blackaby book, Henry and Richard Blackaby Spiritual Leadership. Okay. My copy is dog-eared, underlined, highlighted, circled. Uh, it it's pretty well gone through. Interesting. I I find myself going through that book, um, maybe not once a year, but certainly every year and a half, two years.
2: You know, I've not I'm not familiar with that. I do know about their their big study, the Experiencing God study, but that'll be one to have to yeah, look into. Yeah. Is there any army leaders, maybe not, maybe they haven't been authors, but who have you know been an example an example for you somebody you really admire
1: oh gracious You for me um, Izzy Gaither Commissioner Izzy Gaither right, right. Uh, I mean there's so many how, how much time you got <laughs> that's right uh, give two or three but, that's good <laughs> but as far as just right off the top um, just what a what a very godly man and anointed I guess is a word I keep coming to yeah um, I appreciate I appreciate the raiders yes uh General and Commissioner Rader, uh, when when we were in Kentucky, Tennessee, now they've retired in uh, the Lexington area, right. but every now and again, I would get a phone call from him or an email. I, in fact, overseas, I got an email from him once just asking if things were okay, because the Lord had put us on his heart. Wow. And, and you know how that is. And just something, just a quick, so they've always been an influence. Yeah. Uh, the Needhams yeah. here in Atlanta area, what, what again, what godly people, uh, how much time do you have? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Colonel Charles Talmadge, Charles Talmadge, he's in glory now, and I tell people that if there was a fourth person of the Godhead, it would be Charles Talmadge. Wow.
2: I didn't know him. I mean, uh, I've heard his name and seen it around. Uh, but, and his wife was um, also, was it, was, is Virginia. his wife Virginia? Yeah.
1: Yes, yes, yes. What absolute saints of God. Wow. And all of the, and I, I'm, I'm really doing an, uh, an injustice by naming some names because I'm leaving others out that I know I should be including. But these are people, uh, your your grandfather, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I go back to the Eastern Territory up in, uh, the, that's where we're originally from. Yeah. And I can remember the, the Andy Miller blessings that we would get up there. So, gosh, and, and in fact, your grandparents were the territorial leaders here in the South when we were commissioned. Right. And you may not know this okay your grandmother my mother and my wife's mother were all session mates in training
2: oh interesting it, actually I, I see your uh mother and mother-in-law because they're in the tampa bay area and they always mm-hmm. ask me about her Well, i didn't i don't think i realized that they were there at the same time yeah, they're session. Mates. wonderful yep, they all
1: went to training together amazing
2: well, I got one more question for you. I know you've been very generous with your time, but what, what, what would you say God's doing in your life today? Like what, what's what's happening
1: in your life with God? Oh gosh, Andy. Um, certainly by nature of this appointment, uh, he's, he continues to put me in situations where I'm forced to rely on him. Hmm. Um, I, I, I have shared... With a few people now, uh, it, it took me a while to share this story that I'm going to share, but I'm I'm a little more comfortable with it now. There was a point in our officership where um, we were being given an appointment that I, I just felt was absolutely so incredibly far beyond us, mm. and it led us to an all night of prayer, Barbara and myself. Now, we, we weren't together in the all night of prayer. Barbara was in one room. I was in another room. And, uh, you know, we, we hear this phrase about wrestling with God. I'm telling you, I was wrestling with God over this. And in this time of, of wrestling, one of the accusations I threw his way about this particular appointment, Lord, you know that this plays to every one of my weaknesses and not one of my strengths. Wow. And I'm not one of these hear the voice of God kind of guys, but it was the closest I've ever come. There was this sense that rose up in my heart, Andy, of the voice of the Lord saying, when was this ever about your strength? Oh, my. (laughs) And I found myself both affirmed and convicted at the same time. And so I have never forgotten that. That has marked me. And I am certainly in another position now that plays to the majority of my strengths, and so few of my weaknesses, hmm. but when has this ever been about what I bring to the table, other than my willingness? Wow. So, the Lord keeps me, um, well, literally, on my knees about this. The decisions that we're asked to make, the um, the walking the army through the minefield that is today's culture, you know, you don't want to make a misstep. and. People who come to us and say, uh, how can we pray for you? Oh, that's an easy answer. Pray for wisdom. Hmm. Pray for wisdom that we lead this army well. Um, Because if the time ever comes that we go, yeah, Lord, just have a seat over there. I got this. Yeah. Run the hills. Man.
2: Well, thank you for giving us that opportunity to think of how we can pray for you. Just know that we do, and um, we're thankful for the way God has led your life, your family's life, um, to be in this position right now. And I know that wasn't your, your idea. When you when you were playing trombone and banjo in the Navy band, I'm sure That'd you weren't thinking, sweet. I really want to be the territorial commander of the salvation. No, I, I'm wow. sure that wasn't it. And, you know, God's led you here, giving you experiences and gifts. And he's using them, and I just we thank God that you're in the role that you're in, and we just pray that God will continue to bless your leadership, particularly as you you know take the weight of the territory. I said when I had my conversation with the general, you know, I said do you have the weight of, I talked about the weight being on his shoulders, and he was very quick to correct me, and he he wanted to say it's a privilege, it's not a weight. Um yeah. I, I know that both are true, and uh, we we was, thank you for this time. It's been great to spend. a— spend some time with you here. I know that your time is very valuable, so we appreciate it. God bless you, Commissioner, and we pray that God will continue to lead you and our army forward to the fight.
1: Thank you, Andy. God bless you.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Captain's Corner. Next week on the podcast, we will have Dr. Chris Bounds, Professor of Wesleyan Studies at Asbury University. If you'd like to learn more about us, please feel free to check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army Tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time.